his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brian O'Hara is the uh, Minneapolis police chief, and uh, he has joined us on the show from time to time, as he does right now in studio here. Uh, chief, welcome. Thank you so much again for the time. Um, let's start with the public's, uh, the consent decree, because we were talking about this this morning, and I think we've all kind of familiar, familiarized ourselves with it. But you as the chief, so you look at 2024. What is like? What do you have to do as part of the consent decree? Well, like physically, how is the department changing, and how has it changed since it's been implemented? And looking forward over the next few months, what are what kind of changes are we going to see because of it? Yeah. Good morning, Adam. Thank you. Um, you know, we're still kind of in the initial stage of this. Uh, there has been a lot of work done, um, but as everybody knows, we don't even have a monitor yet. Um, so while there's a lot of due dates and things, a lot of stuff that's in process, uh, this is stuff that takes time. Um, and you know, the monitor I, is that somebody that's appointed by the federal government? Yeah. And, you know, so when would we in, see that person? Yeah. In this case, uh, the agreement right now is only with the state MDHR. Um, the city has agreed to enter into a consent decree with the federal government as well. Um, so ultimately, uh, a monitor uh, would work uh, on behalf of the court, on behalf of the state court as well as the federal court um, independently uh, to evaluate the department's progress towards meeting all of the various uh, listed goals. Um, You know, even just the state settlement agreement that we have uh, with MDHR, it's a monumental lift. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done. Um, Just talking to the commander of our training unit yesterday, um, in some cases, there's 152 hours of additional training that have to be added. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, as everybody knows, the department is extremely short-staffed. And my priority is to ensure public safety. So, you know, we may not get through every single minute of training this year uh, in the time frame that that's requested because I am absolutely not going to jeopardize public safety just to get some check mark uh, for a consent decree. Uh, that being said, I think uh, our staff, our training staff, our commanders, have done an incredible job at trying to schedule all of this stuff, as many of it as possible, uh, without uh, causing disruption to uh, to service, which is, again, that's the number one priority. Is there anything in the consent decree that you don't agree with, that you, do, you guys don't really want to do, or you kind of want to push back against? You know, a lot of this stuff, actually all of it, was uh, decided on before I got here, even though it wasn't settled. Um, and there were a few things that I disagreed with uh, kind of strongly. Um, like? Uh, well, uh, we were talking before the list of uh, motor vehicle violations that police would no longer stop for. Um, I thought it was too long. I thought in some cases, um, 
it, it didn't it didn't even make sense. Like they're they're listing some things that cops can't stop for, but then there's like an exception that says if it's a public safety issue, you could pull somebody over. So some of it even initially didn't quite make sense to me. But then I looked at the numbers. I looked at what's actually going on in Minneapolis. One, our cops aren't stopping people like they used to as much before. And two, they're certainly not stopping people only for these very minor violations. And in the rare cases where that does happen and they have nothing else, we're not getting the returns that we should be getting. Mm-hmm. I think a, a lot, I think we got to face reality that a lot of times uh, those types of stops can damage the perception of the department. Uh, it can make it look uh, – it, it can confirm the negative ideas people have against us already, and we're not getting uh, – you know, we're not getting anything out of it. So I just didn't think it was worth it to, to debate because I think it's kind of a non-issue now as it is. The negative – the negative perceptions like racial racial profiling? Mm. Yeah. Um, that, that's – obviously that's out there. We cannot um, – you know, we, we, we cannot <laughs> – we can't deny that this is the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, we can't deny that, you know, what happened here in 2020 and all the different things that happened in this city and around this area that people, uh, you know, uh, point to and say it's part of the culture of Minneapolis that has led us here, part of the culture of policing in general around the country. Uh, and I think the problem is the reality of who our cops are, the reality of the work that they do is dramatically different from people's perceptions of us. Um, but it's just, it's not helpful when we do things uh, that in some way can be perceived as disrespectful uh, or over-policing and sort of provide, you know, under-servicing uh, certain communities. Um, and, and then we wind up confirming those negative things. And it can be s- as simple as, you know, an officer just being disrespectful to someone in some way, an officer pulling someone over and the person perceiving it as, you know, you know, you're lying to me, you're, the way you're talking to me. Uh, and then that person leaves that interaction and they go to their barbershop and tell everybody in the barbershop. And that confirms what everybody thinks uh, about us, which is, you know, 99.9% not true about, you know, the incredible uh, work that goes on here every day. So it's, to me, there's just diminishing returns and it's just, it's, it's not worth it. Talk to us about recruiting. Last time you were here, you had about 500 plus on the yeah. on the force, and you needed 800 something. How's yeah. it going? Um, we have not stopped uh, the bleeding from the department. We have not stopped the attrition. We're not able to keep pace still with attrition. Um, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, this is not to me. Uh, this is not about the cops. This is about the residents in particular. This is about the most vulnerable members of our community who are most at risk, uh, you know, for violent crime and just being able to provide the most basic services that they need. Um, I do not think we have done nearly enough as a city to try and stop this. Um, this is urgent. It, there is no other way to put, to put it. I, I don't know what to tell people. You know, we had a, a really rough time the end of the year just trying to keep pace with uh, some of the levels of gun violence and things that were happening. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I know, I, I know this much. I did not come all the way from Newark to lose. We are going to win with the people that we have in this city. And the cops that we have here are unbelievable. Some of the best in the country. Um, but they can't keep going at the rate that they're going. We need people to get serious about making investments, about paying our cops more, about putting some money behind this, 
uh, and acting with the urgency that it needs. I am all for supporting community groups, supporting alternatives to policing, but we have to recognize a lot of that stuff just does not exist. And we continue to lose police officers with nothing else to replace it. No adequate supports in place. And, and regardless of the situation, we have to realize it is ridiculous to think we can abolish the police. We should, any reasonable person should be done with that by now. Anywhere in society where there is a withdrawal of police, you have absolute chaos. And you have, again, the most vulnerable people in our communities that are victimized the worst by this. So, uh, I mean, I can't say, you know, strongly enough, like, we need to settle the contract with the Federation as quickly as possible. We need to put some money behind recruiting uh, and, and, and some money behind attracting the type of people that our residents want to be a part of this police department. This is an opportunity today that people don't see. The department is 40% smaller than what it was three years ago. That's unbelievable. In some cases, like in investigations, we have half the number of investigators and exponentially more the number of victims' cases to try and bring justice to. This is an opportunity to rebuild this police department better than it's ever been before. And people are not seizing on that moment uh, and putting money and resources behind it as if it's serious. What, what is the current number of officers on the force right now? The current number, uh, I, I believe uh, the total I got yesterday fluctuates you know, each yeah. week. Mm-hmm. I believe total is, I think, 575. But in terms of full-duty police officers you know, who are not you know, on light duty or out on medical or various leaves, uh, it's about 520 right now. Mm. And what, ideally, what is that number to you? That's nothing. I mean, look, I come from a city that had hundreds of of fewer shootings victims last year mm-hmm. it's it's at least two two or three hundred i think fewer than what we had last year with twice the number of police officers yes. you know one hundred and fifty thousand fewer residents twice the number of cops half the geography twice the number of cops like i don't know what we're doing here you know when like, you say we're, where we're, who's to blame who are you really talking to let's hear is it the city council is it the mayor is it the people of minneapolis who's to blame i i <laughs> Obviously, you know, people in charge that have ability to control finances, that have ability to set the direction of things, it's not the residents of the city. You know, I, I mean, every single day I'm here, whether I'm in uniform or whether I'm in sweats, people are stopping me, thanking me. They said they see changes in the department. They support our police. Um, you, you know, and I think, I, I think people realize at this point, you know, the cops feel that everyone uh, doesn't support them. The cops feel that community doesn't support them, uh, which is not true. By and large, is not true. But that's not who they're seeing. You know, they're only seeing, they're going call to call to call, seeing people that are at their worst in their time of need. They're not seeing regular folks who are just trying to raise their kids and, you know, go to work and that type of thing. They're not seeing that. But I think cops everywhere believe that elected officials across the board don't support them. But I think that's a, a lot more pronounced here, and there's reasons why that is. Um, yes, there's a you know again we have to acknowledge all of the all of the bad things that we have done as a profession and things that have happened here specifically. Um, but it is not helpful for people in positions of authority um, to 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 reinforce the narrative that prejudges all of us, to reinforce the narrative that we are all racists, to reinforce the narrative that we are all killers. Guess what? That's not going to do anything for recruiting. 
And that's certainly not going to help get some of the some of the members of our community that are not as represented as they should be in the department. Um, and that's that's the part that's frustrating. I think we, we need to do better in terms of investing resources in this and trying to reach out and connect with people and reinforce the values that we want to see in this agency. I want to talk about the realistic expectations for recruiting, but I don't want to get too far behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, chief Brian O'Hara is with us, Minneapolis Police Department, 1119. Again, if you've got questions for the chief, too, you can text in 651-461-9226. More with Chief O'Hara after this. Back uh, live with uh, Brian O'Hara, chief of the Minneapolis Police Department. You mentioned it, that at any given time, 525 officers. And you said, you know, you compared it to Newark, where you have twice that number. Mm -hmm. Uh, Minneapolis isn't the only city that is having a problem recruiting new cops. I don't know if that's just people don't want to be cops anymore. But so realistically, Can you double that number? I mean, realistically, how many people can you get to become cops in Minneapolis? His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, um, I had uh, dinner with Chief Arredondo last week, and, you know, we were talking. He, he proposed, you know, trying to raise the department back in 2019 by at least 400 more cops. Right. Foreseeing, like 1,100, didn't you yeah, Foreseeing, um, you know, the staffing shortages that were starting all over the country. Couldn't possibly foresee how bad it would get here. But he was definitely ahead in thinking that, and he was right. Um, because 900 cops for a city of this size with everything that happens with the level of violence that we experience is nothing. Um, and it's just, uh, the, the worst part of all of this is obviously we have to be able to reduce the number of victims, reduce serious crime, but we also have to, you know, earn trust in the community again. That's incredibly important. And there's no way we're going to reduce crime and maintain those reductions unless we're able to earn people's trust at the same time. And the biggest crime from all of this is the first thing that goes away, the thing that's most difficult to do because we're just running from call to call trying to triage emergencies is to do meaningful community engagements, especially with young people in the city. That's one of the first thing that disappears whenever you have a staffing crisis this bad. And and it's in, in some ways it has enabled this spiral downward that we are in that we cannot break out of. And that is – the staffing levels continue to decrease. We have a higher service demand than what we had before in terms of serious street crime uh, and violence. So we're, we're increasingly mandating more and more over time, which leads to more and more burnout. And then which leads this, you know, younger generation of potential officers who, and, you know, folks who, <laughs> 
younger people today don't want to go to a job where they have to actually go to work five days a week, you know, let alone go to a job where there's going to be massive amounts of overtime. Younger generations, it's clear, prefer to have a work-life balance. So, I mean, this spiral that we're in, um, that's why, again, I say we need some serious investments financially uh, to, to help try and break out of this. And who votes on that? Is that city council? Who votes on the uh, city council? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ultimately, once the administration comes to an agreement with the federation uh, for a contract, if, if that's the road that it goes to, has yes. a relationship with the new council. Um, I know most of the members of the council. There's one new member, uh, council member Orin uh, Chowdhury, who mm-hmm. was a, 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 a staff member for council member Chavez previously. When I first started, so I know her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the other new uh, council member um, that replaced council member Goodman. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I haven't had interactions yet this okay. year. But, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, I respect everybody mm-hmm. and everybody's opinion. I just want to be able to have a good working relationship and know that we're all trying to do things from the right place mm-hmm. on behalf of, of the residents. That's it. Mayor Fry, uh, you feel he's lockstep with you in, in this? The mayor has always been um, incredibly supportive. Uh, yes, absolutely. So we asked Chief O'Hara, and by the way, we're speaking with Minneapolis Police Chief Brian O'Hara during the break. It's questions we get all the time here. Uh, Adam and I reviewed The Fall of Minneapolis, that mm-hmm. documentary uh, by Liz Collin, a few weeks ago. And it gave me a new perspective mm-hmm. on the cops. I really yeah. had such empathy for the cops that left the department after the fall of the third precinct and how afraid they were and how unsupported they felt. I want your thoughts on the documentary and some takeaways. So obviously I wasn't here. Um, but you know, I've, uh, again, even as soon as last week I was talking with chief Arredondo about his experience, um, that night on Lake street, I've talked to many of the officers that are here who lived through this, um, I have watched the documentary. I have read uh, Liz's book. Um, I can say there's definitely some things, uh, particularly around the prosecution, and I don't know. Uh, you know it, she's presenting an argument on one side at least, yes. but there's certainly some things that are being presented that sound very concerning. Um, however, you know, the bigger picture zooming out of this, it's very concerning to me. Um, the way a lot of this has taken off culturally, it's very concerning to me, particularly the amount of police officers I see online who uh, go along with this as if, you know, this whole thing was some conspiracy and, you know, George George Floyd died of an overdose and some medical problems and nothing else. That's outrageous. That's deeply concerning. Um, uh, Yeah, I I definitely feel like we are backsliding, um, you know, just with with that sentiment. At the same time, I understand um, the unbelievable amount of hurt that a lot of cops here have felt. I'm sure. not talking about the cops from, you know, uh, you know, Ohio and other places that just want to talk all this mess online. The cops who were actually here who lived through this. And then especially the cops who have remained, who came to work day after day, wondering who from their coworkers were just not going to show up the next day. And in a lot of ways, there were financial incentives for people to throw in the towel and leave. The cops who are here, who have lived through that and decided to stay, you know, we owe them for staying here, for sticking with us. You know, uh, uh, 
the people who left, they were able to get workmen's comp payouts. They, get, they went out on pensions. They're able to get medical benefits. The cops who have stayed here that do their whole 30 years, stay till they're 55 years old, they don't leave with medical benefits. You know, that's the way things are set up in this state. So I do think in a lot of ways – um, it was almost incentivized for people to leave, and we cannot, cannot under underestimate, cannot, cannot, you know, cannot overstate um, the amount of trauma that our officers that are here, who have remained, who lived through that, have endured. At the same time, you know, we got to remember the trauma that was experienced by our residents. You know, I put um, two officers on 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 a beat in 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 the uh, South Minneapolis in the third precinct, and they spend some time, uh, a couple days a week, a couple hours a week. Uh, down at 38th in Chicago, walking the neighborhoods. I was down there a few months ago with them, walking that neighborhood, talking to residents who lived there, and just hearing what their experiences were in the summer of 2020. You know, being stuck in there, being terrified, gunshots constantly, having to sweep up shell casings outside their houses. Um, the level of hurt that exists here in this city is unbelievable, and I don't think. As an agency, you know, we haven't quite figured out how to come together with a lot of our residents and try and start to deal with some of this because it doesn't matter who you are. I think the one thing that connects all of the cops and all of the residents who lived here through that is that shared sense of trauma. And if we were able to have some conversation about this in some way, I think a lot of people, um, you know, who may not have positive views of the police department – would see us as human, would see our people uh, for everything that they went through. And I think we'd be, we might actually be in a position to start to heal. I don't think we're anywhere close to, to starting to heal. That's hard to hear, It's but it's we need to hear it. And here's the other thing, and we only got about a minute left or so, but we, you know, we hear all the time and city leaders, uh, we're getting safer, it's, uh, Minneapolis downtown, and the city's coming back, uh, the, we're trending in the right direction, but with the current numbers as they are, can Minneapolis be a safe city with the, the, the people you have right now, knowing that those people are doing yeah. all they can to keep the city safe? But is it, is it enough? I mean, can, can the city be safe with that kind of well, staff? You know, uh, a lot of these problems don't happen overnight, right? Um, you know, and crime is not widespread in Minneapolis on every single block every time of day. Right. A lot of these places where things happen are very concentrated. They're locations where we've had problems, uh, you know, for decades. Um, that being said, you know, since 2020, you know, in June of 2020, things exploded overnight. Um, previously, before June of 2020, there had been maybe, you know, sometimes in the teens, sometimes about two dozen shooting victims a month. By June of 2020, it was over 100 in one month. Um, and that is just – that was how things – how quickly things spiraled. Uh, at the same time, there was an exodus of members from the department, um, and that is what we are fighting against right now. And it is because a lot of, uh, a lot of partners that we have collaborating with us, uh, community organizations that have had enough, they're trying to take that things uh, in their neighborhoods and help us resolve conflict, and also all the different law enforcement partners. The U.S. attorney here is unbelievable. Um, he is all in in Andy terms Luger. of yes, he is all in in terms of dealing with serious crime and violence, and making sure all of the federal government gives Minneapolis our money's worth. So that's helping. Uh, you know, the state, the BCA is great. The the county sheriff here is is fantastic. Her votive uh, violent offender task force constantly worth us working every day. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to acknowledge that this setup, at least with my agency, is not sustainable. 
We can't continue to bleed people out, you know, until we get to zero. It makes no sense. Um, and at the same time, we have people working harder and harder over time. And that's not good for their health. It's not good for their wellness. And it's not good for the community. Um, I am hopeful that 2024, 2024 will be the year that we turn this around. Um, but either way, I know uh, a lot of these cops I've worked with in the car myself. I've seen them on the street. I've been on calls with them. I know how deeply dedicated they are. Uh, I would even take fewer than what we have right now because that's how good uh, some of the cops that are here are. I know we, if I could just keep you one more minute, give us why somebody should become a Minneapolis police officer. Well, this job isn't for everybody. That's for sure. Um, However, uh, you know, and we have to acknowledge this is probably the toughest place in America to be a cop today. Um, However, if you actually want to be the police, um, if you're in this for the right reasons, if you want a career with opportunity for advancement that is unparalleled anywhere else in the country right now, because this department needs to expand opportunity for advancement, diversity of assignment, diversity of experiences, life experiences, people that you can meet, quality of life that you can have while you're here. Um, there's nowhere else in the country to be than, than to be a cop here right now. Um, but that being said, you know, this is not easy. You know, if you just want a comfortable job with a pension, get some money, take a job in one of those suburbs. Um, because there is nowhere to hide here. You actually have to be the police if you're going to be a Minneapolis cop today. Thanks for the time, Chief. We always appreciate it. Hope you come again. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate close. you, and so do our listeners. Yep. So um, we, we appreciate the time, and we'll check in soon. Thank you. 1135, traffic and weather up next. Just kind of taking that all in. Uh, we love talking to the chief because the chief, at least this chief, police chief Brian O'Hara, I always feel like after a conversation with him, it was the real deal. Like he wasn't trying to BS us. He wasn't mm-hmm. trying to give us a canned answer. I feel like he was giving the – he was in studio with us, yep. which you'll see on social media. Like it was – he was just being honest about everything and about the struggles that they're having. You know, even about – we weren't planning on asking him about that documentary, but I'm glad he watched it. I'm glad he commented mm-hmm. on it. And I, I really – he's saying we need help. We need more money. We need more support. But yet there's bureaucracy that gets in the way like this with the union. You know, yet they have to have a contract with the union. They need that monitor to complete the decree or to conform with the decree. There's a lot that's in his way that's getting in the way of the people of Minneapolis being safe. And also just the overall in America struggle of finding people who want to be police officers full stop. So hard. That's it. So hard. And which is my my question and he's saying, you know, even with fewer people, I'd still take those people that want to be here. That, that's great. And, you know, I got obviously in an ideal world, that number, whether it's 800, 900, or 1,000 cops, mm-hmm. I just I don't see any possible way in this day and age that they'll get that many people. I, I forgot I wanted to ask him, like, for an opening, for an officer opening, I wonder how many applicants they get. Oh, It yeah. cannot be yeah. that many. And it, I just find that an impossible task that you're going to find that many people to be police officers, whether it's in Minneapolis or anywhere, mm-hmm. but obviously the the decks are stacked even more so against being a cop in Minneapolis. But right, even if they you, could go to Minnetonka. That's what, they, well, yeah, even if in Minnetonka. Else. I bet you mm-hmm. Minnetonka is still having difficulty finding police officers, mm-hmm. too. We hear about smaller departments around the state that mm-hmm. like, don't even have enough officers to keep going, and then they have to kick it to the uh, like a county sheriff to do, to do the work. So. Mm-hmm. 
again, it's this reckoning that America has is how do we want to be policed? How do, what does the future of policing look mm-hmm. like? And we're seeing it real time. Again, you might have some great ideals as to the end game as to how it's going to look and how, but boy, in the meantime, it's like he said, it's the most vulnerable people in any community yes. that suffer the most when, uh, when they lack the enforcement and we have people still willing to do bad things. And I know that sounds bleak, but yet, Adam, here we are in downtown Minneapolis. And I come to downtown Minneapolis a lot. I come here to eat. We go to the North right. Loop. I we go to Northeast. I mean, we I, I, I come here out to dinner at night right. with my kids. You know, I feel safe totally. in downtown Minneapolis. Absolutely. And, I, this people, yes. and the people say, ah, it's not safe. You know, you don't. You you aren't you aren't here as often as we correct. And it's not like this cesspool of shootings no, all over the place. Not like at we're, all. And I know, and of course, the chief need, is expressing that we need more officers to be safe. But it's not unsafe, at least for us, to be here. We come down during the day, or you come down at dinner time. We're not here at two p.m. when the bars close. We're not, you know, alone walking the streets. Maybe we don't put ourselves in a situation that might be more dangerous. But it's still okay to come to Minneapolis. Somebody texting, I'm late to the conversation. Was there a discussion of paying the officers a hiring bonus? That's what he's talking about, yeah. is the money. money. Talking money. about having a being able to yes. competitive. And he's saying, he's like, if they can't compete with Minnetonka or other suburbs. Then there's no chance. There's no chance. There's no chance. But I, I asked him who pays the salary. He said, it's everybody. I mean, the city council has to vote on that. There has to be money course, allotted yeah, for it. It's funded officers. Yes, agreed. So... Whew, that's a hard job. And he comes from Newark, New Jersey. And for those of you who haven't been to Newark, New Jersey, that is a rough town. I used to be a reporter in Newark, New Jersey and other neighboring towns in, in New Jersey. And that is a tough town to, to police. But it's smaller than Minneapolis. And um, he says it's a great city now. And my, kid, my parents go to the Performing Arts Center. They are in Newark, New Jersey now. It has... You know, there has been a transformation. When we have more time with him, we can ask more how about that happened over the years. But um, another city riddled with crime, and he said it's definitely on the mend. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.